name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and God, Amen. What do you think if I asked you to, to, to do th- something? I want you to clap with one hand. What do you think? Can you do it? Can you clap with one hand? It's not clapping. Can you clap with one hand? That's absurd. There is nothing called clapping with one hand. This is nonsensical. If I told you that you're going to find peace and tribulation, what do you think of that? Seemingly, doesn't make sense. It's also nonsensical. Apparently, seemingly. If I, I told you to be last, to be first, you should be last. That's absurd. Seemingly. Apparently. Does clapping with one hand compare to what Jesus asked us to do? If you want to be first, you should be last. Are, are both statements, both claims, observed as, as each other? It might be. There are people who are, who are looking, even Christians, who are reading such claims, claims that if you want to be first, you should be last. You're going to find peace and tribulation. They, they found it as absurd. And let's be frank with, with ourselves. Let's be sincere and, and ask frankly ourselves. How much do we believe in such claims like, and I, and I, I hope you do this, this exercise to think of the many claims in the Bible that seem contradictory, conflicting with each other, self-conflicting, and then try to make sense of them, because they make a lot of sense. They make that sense of this life, and without them, there is no sense. So, what I want to speak about today is the idea, it struck me from a few months ago, and, and it stayed with me. The idea of a paradox. What a paradox is? A paradox is something that seems con- contradicting itself. It's an apparent contradiction, apparent conflict, apparent discrepancy. And the key word is apparent. It appears as if it is, it is conflicting, but in reality it is not. Why am I speaking of this today? Today is the one Sunday between the Feast of the Ascension. Last Sunday, the Church was preparing us for, for receiving the Feast of the Ascension. And we spoke of the way. And Jesus was the way to heaven. He is one who opened the way through himself. It's not something out of himself. It's not something external to himself. He himself became the way. And then we, we celebrated last Thursday the Feast of the Ascension, and then next Sunday will be the Feast of Pentecost. 
So, I think it's a great reminder of who we are. We live in the flesh. We live in the world. But we are not of the world. Few, uh, small words. Small words. Pronounce. In, of. We are in the world. Yes, that's true. But we are not of the world. I think the ascension of, of Jesus Christ to, to heaven is a reminder that we have another place. We belong somewhere else. We live in, in, on the earth. We are not hating this life. We are not hating the people living around us. Actually not. We, we love them. We love this life. But the true life. The true life. So, that's why, as we are expecting next week to celebrate the, the descent of the Holy Spirit and the dwelling of, or the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within human beings after being deprived of this because of sin, as we, we heard in, in, uh, in Genesis 6, that my, my spirit shall not strive in you with humans. And God felt sorry to, to create human who and their wickedness being continually happening. So we are reminded by the ascension of Jesus, the God incarnate, that we, we again, we belong somewhere else. But again, living here on this fallen world and having a remnant of the falling nature, nature we we are reminded that, yeah, we are in a conflict. There is sometimes a conflict within us. But we need to side with the spiritual side of us. We should be spiritual people. We should be led by the, the Spirit. So we can be the children of God, not the children of this world. I mean, a paradox. I told you, I hope you do this exercise and when you are reading the Bible, stop by any paradox you can see. I mean, when Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus, he told him, you should be born again. And he said, what? What do you say? I'm an old man. Can I get inside my mother's womb again? It doesn't make sense. But it's a paradox. We are born again. We are born from the womb of the church. We are born from the womb of, of the, the baptismal font that is here. But that's a bird from, from on high, from heaven. The reason why I'm speaking of this, the more you think of that idea of a paradox, the paradoxical aspect of Christianity, make you think of who we are. Are we really believing that? Yeah, there is a paradox. I don't know how can I find peace within tribulation. How can I die and, and deny myself and that's how I find myself. How can you, how can you, if you lose yourself, you will find it. And if you find it, you will lose it. How all of that would make sense? It doesn't, apparently, until you decide that I'm a Christian. I believe in this. I will live it. I will pray for it. And I'll speak of that at the end. How can we do that? But the first thing is, we should be deciding are we living according to the spirit or according to the flesh? That's a decision you should make. 
Because sometimes, even if you, you accept those claims, and you believe in them, you believe that what Jesus said in this Bible is true, even, or also what, what seems to be contradicting, but in practical, in practical life, in daily life, sometimes we balance between being a fleshly person, someone who is living according to the flesh, and someone who is living according to the spirit. And sometimes we balance too much between those two lives. Especially with the pressures sometimes for the youth. The pressures of the parents. The pressures of the house. Go to church. Be in church. Do so and so. And then as soon as they find their freedom in any way. They might be bouncing. But you should be a Christian. Uh, I, I will read... To, it's not the best way to give a sermon to read long passages. It's boring and people get bored easily, more than they are bored. But I don't want you to lose what I'm going to read. What I'm going to read is, is a passage from, from a document that goes back to the second century, the second half of the second century. And it, it's not known who, who is the author of this document and it's addressed to someone called Diognetus and we don't know who is this addressee but we know that it has an apologetical nature it tells who the Christians are and who they are not who the Christians are and who they are not especially they were living in the Roman Empire where there was a lot of false accusation that the Christians are atheists. They don't, they, they don't believe in the gods. They are disrupting the peace of the, the empire because they are denying the, the doctrine of the idols. They are, uh, they are uh, cannibals. They eat the flesh of humans because they are eating the body and the blood. Of Christ, so they translated into the. They are cannibals. They they they, they eat the, the flesh of, of humans. I'm sorry for that. They are. They have incestuous relationships, sexual relationships between even even relatives because they are brothers and sisters. They gather in at night in in the houses because they are not allowed to have churches. They don't have that freedom, so they gather at night, in, on Sundays at night, or on the, the dawn, to, to uh, pray and call each other brothers and sisters, and they kiss each other, the holy kiss, but they don't understand it. So all this accusation was, was thrown to the Christians. And many of the apolog uh, uh, apologetics, or many of the, 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 the people who trying to defend the faith, they wrote documents to say who we are and who we are not. One of the great documents is the, the, the document I'm going to read the passage from. Again, sorry that I'm going to read long passages. This is not the best way to, to give a sermon. But I hope, I can tell you what it says in one statement or two, but it will lose the way he says what he's saying. He's saying Christians are not different from the rest of, the, of men in nationality, speech, or customs. 
They don't live in states or the, of their own, nor do they, they use a special language, nor adopt a peculiar way of life. They live like each other. Each other. Their teaching is not the kind of thing that could be discovered by the wisdom or reflection of mere active-minded men. People now reason, we being rational. This is the, the, the and the people are becoming very argumentative. They can make an argument. I mean, this is how we you, you learn, especially in human human uh, disciplines. Uh, you you make how you make your argument. Write a paper and make an argument. It's all about the mind. He's saying their teaching is not the kind of thing that could be discovered by the wisdom of reflection or reflection of mere active-minded men. Indeed, they are not outstanding in human learning as others are. They might be simple and humble. Whether fortune has given them a home in a Greek or, or foreign city, they follow local custom in the matter of dress, food, and way of life. They live like anyone else. Yet, yet, the character of the culture, the way they are living, the, char the, the character of the culture they reveal is marvelous. And it must be admitted, unusual. They live like each other, but still, there are, they know their limits. They know what for them is off limits. They live each in his native land, but as though they were not really at home there. They live in, in the land where they are born, but they say, we are foreigners in this earth. If you are born in America, that's fine. This is your, your fatherland, your motherland. That's fine. If, you're, if you, you, you belong to Egypt, you are born in Sa'id, that's fine. But as a Christian, your citizenship is in heaven. This is what he said. Every foreign land, I love that word. Every foreign land is for them a fatherland. And every fatherland a foreign land. They don't belong here. Do you belong to the U.S.? It's fine. But your, your main belonging is heaven. Do you belong to Egypt? That's fine. But your main belonging is heaven. They marry like the rest of men and beget children, but they don't abandon the babies, the babies that are born. And here there is a background I, I want to share. The background here is there was a practice in the, the Roman uh, uh, time, in the Roman time, they would abandon their children. You know how when you have a couch that you don't need at your house, what do you do? You leave it by the curb, right? And someone will pick it up, correct? Actually, they were doing this to their children. Children was a possession. You have them. You can do whatever with them. No, there is no law that for, for, forbids you from Neglect your children, put them on the curb, literally, literally. You put them, babies, you can throw them, and whether they die because of the weather, or there are people who would pick them up and raise them up to sell them as slaves, or, sorry to say, for prostitution. And what the Christians did, one, they denied such practices, they never practiced such things. They were different in, on this. Number two, it started to show deaconesses who will pick up these babies and raise them and, and, and provide for them and bring them to be good Christians, good, good people in the society. 
So he's saying, yeah, we marry and we have children like all the rest, but we don't abandon our children. We don't do what the other people are doing. They share a common board, a common board here, a common table, common food, but not a common bed. They don't commit adultery or fornication. In the flesh, as they are, they do not live according to the flesh. They dwell on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the laws that men make, but their lives are better than the laws. I know here we have the rule of the law, and we respect the law, which is a great thing. We are missing this in Egypt. The rule of the law. But not every law is lawful. Not every law is acceptable. The, the, for the Christians, the law that is lawful and acceptable is what, what, uh, what, is, con- what is congruent with, with the, 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 the word of God and the commandment of God. They love all men, but are persecuted by all. They love all men, but they are persecuted by all. However, they still love everyone. Uh, it can, I can go longer than this. It's a great document. I, it's the letter to Diognetus. I recommend that you read it. It's few pages, just few pages. But it tells who are the Christians. And it's still, even though it's written in the second century, I think it applies, perfectly applies to us today, now, in the 21st century. And every argument is this document is making stand and, and is true for us today. Okay, what should we do? What should we do? And again, the, the Bible spoke of a lot of paradox. I mean, all what this document was saying, Christians are, yes, they are, paradox. But actually, it's not, they are not contradicting each other. We live in the world, but not of the world. So what should we do? I think, one, we should accept this fact. We should accept that, yeah, we, we are in the flesh, but we are not living according to the flesh. We are, we are in the spirit, and we are the children of God. Number two, we accept the tension. There is tension. But you should always side with, with what pleases God, not what pleases yourself, or pleases the world, or pleases the people around you. Three, there is a mystery. There is a mystery. I mean, what, what is seemingly contradicting each other, yeah, sometimes we cannot fathom, we cannot understand the depth of things, but we accept that there is a mystery, what we believe. And this is the, the next point. We should have faith on the, 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 the truthfulness of what God is saying. Number five, prayer. We need to pray. The prayer is the way to be able to navigate this this rough life, if you want to live with God, we find difficulties. The way to face these difficulties is, is by prayer. The last thing, which is, I mean, I think you hear of it every sermon, but I think it, it, it deserves that we be reminded by it every sermon. Repentance and confession. This is the way we can, we can go back. We sometimes, we lose the sight where we are, we are heading. And it happens all the time for all of us, from the priest, from the bishop, to, from the, the preacher, to uh, uh, the, 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 the youngest child. And we need to re-examine, re-route like the GPS is doing. And one way to do this is repenting and go confessing. Not just to tell the, the priest, here is what I've done. But it's a reminder, if I'm Christian, I shouldn't do this. I'm, I'm confessing that I broke my commitment to my 
Christian values, my Christian life, my, my belonging as a Christian. And because I broke it, I'll come back to the church, I'll confess my sins, I'll go back to the bosom of the Father through the, the love of Christ. May God grant us while we are again celebrating the, the, the ascension feast and waiting for the Pentecost, the descent of the Holy Spirit. May God grant us to remember, remind ourselves that we are Christians. This is our first identity. This is our belonging and glory be to God.